Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm so excited to have with me Jake Kale. Hello, Jake. Hey, Heidi. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. I'm really excited. You have, you've written a lot of books. You are a pastor in a church. Um, but I, I specifically was really excited about this book that you wrote, which is called Hypocrisy Exposed, um, because I've been really wanting to find more about Christian narcissism. And I was recommended you and I find out that we actually know some of the same people. So it was just really cool that I'm actually able to interview you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So if you could tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself and even just a little, your testimony, like why are you in ministry and how'd you get involved in doing this work? Yeah. So I've been in ministry for the last close to 20 years off and on, depending on settings, but, but yeah. So for me, I, I grew up in a Christian family, grew up in a great, great family. My parents got saved when I was young. So I always went to church and I always would have you know considered myself a believer. So I always like, yeah, I called myself a Christian, but I wasn't really living it, wasn't walking it out, didn't really know what it meant to have a real vital relationship with the Lord or just be transformed by the gospel. It was more of just a, okay, like I believe in Jesus, but didn't really affect my life. Went through life that way in high school, got pulled into the party scene, got pulled into some sexual immorality and just kind of living like the world, but yet going to church and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you know, then when I went to college my freshman year, just more just kind of dove headlong into the party scene. I wasn't at my parents' house anymore. I was on the football team and just, yeah, kind of party lifestyle, lots of drunkenness, you know, sexual sin, and, and then going to Bible study on Thursday nights and just thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is just normal. And um, <laughs> how I was living my life, just kind of, this, yeah, um, deceived. I was very deceived. And yeah. so at the end of my freshman year, I was at a retreat with a campus ministry and um, the Holy Spirit really began to convict me, open my eyes up to how I was living choices I was making, the sin I was living in, and just kind of brought me to a fork in the road where I realized, oh, I can't live, I can't live this way. Like, this is not what it means to be a Christian. And mm-hmm. I just kind of wrestled for a day or two and just, yeah, just really counting the cost, wrestling, and just got to a place of really deep repentance. And I talked to the leader of our kind of campus ministry and confessed sin to him. I was weeping, I was repenting, and just encountered God in a very profound way. Um, I was just I just, there was a deep you know, repentance, godly sorrow, but yet there was the sense of the love of God just embracing me so mm-hmm. powerfully. And I was radically set free, just delivered from bondage to sin. Um, you know, certain areas that were strongholds were literally broken, never be, were a problem ever again, and just radically changed my life. Started devouring scripture, just, you know, reading the Bible and just with a whole new lens now and started mm-hmm. just praying and seeking the Lord. And so over the course of the next couple of years, I got involved with campus ministry um, and started to kind of lead groups and just started to sense a calling toward toward ministry. Didn't know what it would look like. And then, yeah, the Lord just kind of led from there. Um, I got married after after graduating, been married for almost, uh, I guess, 18 and a half years now, coming up on 19 years. 
have three yeah. amazing kiddos and um, been, you know, with the local church in, in, in Lancaster area for the last 11 years. And yeah, so it's been an incredible, incredible journey. Just a little snapshot of it there. Yeah. And so, and you really are, you do a lot of deliverance ministry. Can you talk about how you got into that? And I feel like that will lead us into kind of how you got, even got into writing about hypocrisy and narcissism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so deliverance, I mean, so the church I grew up with did not believe in like the gifts of the Holy Spirit or deliverance. So it wasn't part of my upbringing. So I really had no grid for stuff like that, like supernatural ministry, healing, deliverance, the gifts of the Spirit. But um, as I was just seeking the Lord after my conversion, I was reading the Bible. And I remember reading all these stories in the Gospels and seeing Jesus casting demons out of people, healing people. And I was like, where, where is this? I've never really seen this before. And just seeking the truth, didn't really understand theological debates and all that. But uh, yeah. so God began to draw me into deliverance specifically. And I had a series of dreams, vivid dreams, where I was casting demons out of people. And I'd wake up from these vivid dreams being like, whoa, like I was, I knew it was God. It was so clear and such a spiritual ring to this dream. And I was afraid I was going to meet these people in real life. I was like, I, I can't cast a human out. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, like what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, very apprehensive about the whole thing. But I knew God was like speaking. And, and then I came across some books some teaching that really opened my eyes up to, oh, wow, like this is different. Like I, I just so many misunderstandings about the spiritual realm or deliverance and casting out mm-hmm. demons. And uh, so I came across some very solid biblical practical teaching that God used to just open my eyes up, renew my mind. And then he really, the Lord just kind of threw me in the deep end where I came across situations and people would ask for help. You know, maybe they're under torment and in their past, they'd kind of dabbled in witchcraft or they played with a Ouija board and mm-hmm. now they're being tormented in their mind. And that. So now I have a new lens. I'm like, Oh, I think they might need deliverance. I'll begin to pray demons would manifest and begin begin to get cast out. And so from there, God just kind of thrust me into it. So it's been a very active part of my life and ministry for about the last 18 years. And so, yeah, it's, I often teach on it and travel and speak and written some books on that topic, but yeah, it's been very fruitful and seeing God, God move in that way, seeing people set free. It's just incredible to see. Yeah. And I, I, I think a common teaching that people will say is, can a Christian have a demon, you know, and Yes, they, they can. And that's what Jesus yeah. did. It, like third, a third of his ministry was, was casting out demons. So it's, it's normal. And w- so many of us are in bondage and we, we need that. I mean, it's like that daily bread of deliverance and just who he is. He's the deliverer. Yeah. Um, so how did you, how did you land upon this revelation about hypocrisy? This book is really, really good. And I love that you talk about how Many of us think that, oh, that they're a hypocrite. You know, they got drunk and then they went to church. They're a hypocrite. And you're like, that's not a hypocrite, like a, a typical sin or or just a you know Christian who has a sin. And then that's not a hypocrite. Like you you actually landed upon some revelation about this. So can you talk about that and how you even got that revelation? Yeah, it wasn't something I ever saw myself teaching on, writing on. Um, So I was in a season a few years ago where we were navigating some complex situations, um, you know, in our church context. And, and, and there was just a level of deception. There was a level of manipulation that I had never really seen, seen up close, you know, to that degree. And so I was just crying out for wisdom and I began to pray to the Lord every day, God, make me wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. That's what Jesus said. And Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 10, and he was sending out the disciples. And 
I never even thought about the concept of, you know, being wise as a serpent. You typically think of a serpent being like a negative thing, but he said, you know, pray or he told them to be wise as a serpent. And so I was praying for it. I was kind of delving into the Proverbs and asking God for wisdom and discernment related to some of these situations. And mm-hmm. one of them, um, one of them was a marriage situation that we were walking with where, uh, where there was just abusive dynamics, emotional abuse. There was all, 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 all kind of dynamics that we didn't really have a full grid for uh, mm-hmm. until walking through this process. And so I was just crying out for wisdom. And then one morning I was just in my prayer time with God, just seeking him and praying and the Holy Spirit just began to open my understanding up to the concept of hypocrisy and what it actually is from a biblical standpoint. And like you said, sometimes we just kind of throw the word hypocrite around, like, oh, yeah, this, this person's a hypocrite or that um, when a person stumbles or when a person doesn't maybe live up to their standard fully. Um, but I, I, I began to see it's actually a much deeper, uh, even kind of darker concept and um, one of the key passages that the Holy Spirit drew me to is Matthew 23, where Jesus, he uses that word over and over again. He's talking specifically to the Pharisees. He's addressing them and he calls them hypocrites, you know, um, but, but he um, he uses these illustrations. He calls them uh, like a whitewashed tomb. So you, he says you appear outwardly to be righteous, to be holy, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. Or he said, like, you you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, um, but inside it's full of darkness and all this stuff. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Yeah. Um, but he, So he's portraying a situation where they were presenting themselves outwardly one way, but then it was a completely different story inwardly or their private, you know, life. And so then also understanding the Greek word for for hypocrite in the in the original language, it actually means to be an actor. So it's, it's, it was a word that was used for, for like theater, like when yeah. a person was like involved in like a theater performance, they would wear a mask to be in their character and, and they would perform and act. And that's where the word came from. So Jesus was essentially calling them actors. He was saying, you're acting, you are mm-hmm. trying to portray yourself one way in order to conceal what's actually going on. And um, kind of the way I summarized it in the book is that a hypocrite is not a righteous person who sins it, it's an evil person who pretends to be good who wow. who is trying to portray themselves one way it, it's, it's more intentional deception it's more it's not a person who just stumbles into sin and then walks in repentance it's mm-hmm. a lifestyle of duplicity it's a mm-hmm. lifestyle of portraying yourself one way publicly and then living another way privately um and and so it's yeah it's really um once i saw it in the scriptures I began to see it all throughout the Bible, all these different examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament, different dynamics about it. And so that first day, that morning when I was getting this from the Lord, I actually opened up my laptop and started just typing out a bunch of notes of all the stuff that was coming to me. And that outline essentially became the outline for the book, Hypocrisy Exposed, mm. uh, that, that came out, you know, maybe nine months later or something like that. So, wow, that's really, really good. Because I think that we can get so confused and we don't actually really dive into what God God means. And you kind of go into a few specifics about this. Like you you say sexual predators. You also said um, like false prophets and then like abusive spouses. You kind of called out mm-hmm. a couple. And I'd love to actually talk a little bit about kind of the abusive spouses. if Because I see it a lot. Like I see... 
I mean, it, and I feel like it's increased more in hearing the word narcissism. Is that is that hypocrisy? Is nar is a narcissist? A, a, you know, like are they an evil person? They're you know, like can a narcissist actually be Christian? So can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, those are great, great questions, and and there's obviously some complexities and nuances to some mm -hmm. of these discussions and questions. But yeah, you're right. In the book, I kind of highlighted some areas. You know, yeah, like you said, uh, false prophets, because Jesus said it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So that's yeah. evil pretending to be good, like portraying yeah. uh, as a false prophet from Matthew seven. I talk about sexual predators. Um, you know, a person that's intentionally preying upon others. Yeah. To take from them that way. And then, yeah, yeah, domestic abuse situations where there's abusive spouses. Um, and I do. So um, there's a chapter in the book um, called I think I call it like the religious narcissist. Yep. And how hypocrisy really is a in some ways a biblical way of what what maybe counselors or in psychology is called narcissism. If you take narcissism and you put it in a religious context, it really fits hypocrisy. It really fits kind of that same you know, there's a lot of manipulation, duplicity, lying, deceiving, double mm -hmm. life, where it's like everyone in public thinks they're such a great person. Oh, they're so mm -hmm. nice or they're so kind. And then behind closed doors, how they treat their spouse or how they abuse other people or just the, the lifestyle they're living is so different than the public portrayal. Yeah. So I do think there's a connection between um, yeah, hypocrisy and narcissism and how that affects marriages, like you said, where, you know, Take a situation, let's say, um, let's say, let's say a situation where the husband is the one who's being abusive, you know, towards the wife. Well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they attend church and maybe the husband is like very involved in the church and everyone thinks he's a great person. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks he's godly. You know, he can quote scriptures mm -hmm. and he maybe serves, you know, on the worship team or on the elder board or, um, you know, you name it. And everyone thinks he's a family man and a great guy. And, and meanwhile, like, he is addicted to pornography. He's pursuing relationships with other women um, behind the scenes. He's verbally abusing his wife. Um, you know, he's spiritually abusing her, manipulating her. Mm -hmm. um, just this is all going on behind closed doors. And nobody would even think that's possible or, or because it's all happening. This, this, this double life is happening. And so um, this, this is a very real type thing. It's happening, you know, all the time. It's something that my wife and I, our eyes were opened up to this because of the situation we had navigated and kind of just opened our eyes up to this whole new world because we were used to doing deliverance. We're used to doing. And so mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, oh, this, you know, this, this, this guy just needs deliverance. You know, he just needs yeah. to get free from some stuff. But realizing this is much more deep and complex because he's not really repentant. He's not really wanting to get delivered. He's just acting this way or he's, you know, wow there's false repentance or he'll, he'll say the right things when he needs to, but really deep down, he's not wanting to get free of this. So it's not just a matter of, Oh, he just needs an encounter with the Lord or he just needs deliverance. It's much of a deeper complex thing that's happening. So it definitely is impacting marriages. Uh, yeah, for sure. So what, I mean, what do we do? Like what's kind of the first step? Like, does that wife need to like, who does, what does she do? Because it sounds like if she'll go to, like, she can't really go to the elder board because he's on the elder board or like, what is the wife of, or in the spouse of a partner that's struggling with this? What do they do? Yeah. I mean, again, every situation is unique and there's, mm -hmm. there's nuances and complexities, but I, what I've seen is that oftentimes like the first stage is kind of 
you call almost like an awakening stage where maybe they start to see more clearly what's happening. Like they, they probably wouldn't even consider what's happening to them abusive, especially if there's not physical abuse involved. Now, sometimes there is physical abuse as well, I know. but, but that's the hard part with emotional abuse is they think yeah. it's not that bad yeah. and they think that it's fine and not really understanding what it's doing to their soul. Yeah. And it's like yeah. little by little, they keep getting smaller and smaller yeah. and less and less of a person. And it often goes in cycles and so oh, sometimes you know, things get better. And then it just, you know, it, it goes in cycles and there's mm-hmm. false repentance. Oh, I think he's changing. Well, actually, no, mm-hmm. back to, you know, um, and there, and yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. So I think the first stage is kind of like this awakening stage yeah. and like almost getting educated on like, oh, this mm-hmm. is actually what's happening. Um, right. And and this is not okay. Like this is not normal. I mean, like an abusive spouse will try to convince their, 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 their spouse that this is normal, or this is like, oh, well, every guy, you know, is watches pornography or every, you know, every, this is, this is normal for, you know, marriage. And sometimes I've seen that when a, um, like if, if a wife is in an abusive marriage, maybe, maybe there was trauma in their life in early, maybe in childhood. Um, and so maybe they've never known what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. And they're, they're not used to having boundaries or, or thinking they can have boundaries. So yeah, the first, oftentimes the first phase is like this awakening and just this getting yeah. clarity and like educated, learning, reading, finding out, oh, this is actually what's going on. Yeah. Then from there, it's kind of making some decisions on, okay, how am I going to approach this? How am I going to start to set some boundaries? What does that look like? Um, and that can be tricky because, you know, when you start to set boundaries, then you don't know how the person's going to respond. Like, are they going to get violent mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. is it going to get worse? If I try to address it, what's going to happen? Um, you know, do I need to separate for a little bit? Do I do I need to really just pull away? Um, yeah. yeah, and so yeah, it can it can be challenging for sure, depending on. Speaking what- speaking of educating, could you go through a little bit about what a narcissist is? I know you have it in your book, but I just wonder if you could actually talk about what are some of those symptoms because I think that's yes. helpful for us to be able to know. Mm-hmm okay, so is that my husband or is that my wife? Like, you know, just kind of wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just kind of off the top of my head, I don't have the book in front of me or the list. And in in the book, in that chapter, I listed several characteristics, but uh, often what it comes down to is extreme self-centeredness. So it is a a extreme selfishness, extreme self-centeredness. So it's a It's a yep. worldview that kind of revolves around the person. Like everything revolves around them, uh, their selfishness, their their needs, their wants. And so I think that's 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 one of the main characteristics. Um, yep. Along and then then kind of what comes out of that often is a lack of empathy for others. Mm-hmm. Then there's no there's no mm-hmm. ability to then relate to the hurt of others or uh, yeah. the needs of others. So it's lack of empathy is a major yep. thing there. Um, yep. And then you have a huge huge mindset of entitlement that goes mm-hmm. with that like mm-hmm. i deserve i i i get this because i'm entitled to it um that's that's a major aspect of it then comes a lack of respect for other people's boundaries mm-hmm. that's often mm-hmm. kind of part of it um where yes. there's a sense that this person's not allowed to have boundaries like they're an extension of me so i yeah. get to control them i get to have what i want from them and they, you know, they can't really have boundaries at, at all. And so, you know, even in a marriage context, abusive spouses are extremely resistant to the concept of boundaries. Hmm. 
uh, and yes. you know, healthy, healthy boundaries. Um, yes. And so, you know, an abusive spouse thinks that their spouse can't have any boundaries with them. And, right. you know, um, so that's, that's one of the characteristics. I'm sure there's a few others in there. Yeah. The ref- that- yeah. Refusal to take responsibility, um, yes. projection. So projecting onto yes. others, things that they actually are struggling with. And then yes. distortion of reality. So really kind yes. of having this like irrational thinking kind of in this fantasy world. And yep. yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of what I've seen where I sometimes don't even think they realize what they're doing and what they're thinking. Like it's, yep. yeah. And I think I, w- I would love if we can kind of talk about how us in the church, we want to be so kind and loving and forgiving and um, you know, we just give people all these chances, but the problem that I think can happen with people who are narcissists in the church is that it can be really toxic for a whole church, you know, it can, yeah. and it can be toxic. Obviously it's toxic in that marriage, but what you're, what I, what I feel like I kind of got from this book is they're, they're not repentant. Like, yeah. so are we supposed to like, not like give up on them? Like, what, how do we handle this? Like what's, what is, yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of what was hardest for me is that I still kind of struggle with that. Like I still think, mm-hmm. oh, but I know God is a miracle working God. And, you know, I got, I know God can do anything. And, but meanwhile, this person is causing damage as we continue to keep yes. thinking. that. Yes, exactly. And I think, I think that there's a healthy balance with all of this. And even going back to what I said earlier, where Jesus said, be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. I think that's like a healthy balance. I know for me personally, I I was too naive to the nature of these kind of things. I, I, I had no concept for the fact that a professing believer could lie to my face mm-hmm. and not think twice about it mm-hmm. and, or, or could, could so easily deceive or manipulate or, and speak lies. And you think yeah. it's true because they're so convincing. I had no concept for that until I really had this whole experience and this whole, uh, you know, yeah. understanding of hypocrisy. So I think, um, you know, I think, yeah, the Bible has a balanced perspective um, on, on some of these things, because yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the gospel is about redemption, restoration, mm-hmm. forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then there's also some other sides of it where like, there's clearly stuff even taught in the New Testament about the need for separating from certain people or having boundaries with certain people when there's maybe repeated things or Jesus warns about, you know, beware of false prophets that come as wolves in sheep's clothing. And so I think, I think there's a healthy balance. And for me, it's, it's, you don't always know right away, you know, is this person just a wounded individual and through, right. through discipleship and through healing and through deliverance, they're, they're, the fruit's going to change and they're going to be, you know, or is this person more in the category of like this hypocrisy stuff that we're talking about um, where it's actually, there's, there is actually no repentance. And sometimes it takes time to discern the difference between the two. And you, I think one of the key indicators is how do they respond when they're confronted with truth in a loving way? How do they respond when, when God brings more light, when God brings opportunities for repentance, when, when God leads them in certain ways or when things are confronted, how do they respond? If you, if you start to see patterns over and over again, of destructive behavior and there's no genuine repentance, then, then you kind of have to start getting it. Okay. Maybe now I need to set some boundaries and maybe now this, it's not healthy for this person to be, you know, at this church anymore. You know, it's, again, it's um, case by case, but I think there's a balance in that. 
and yes, we want to always have, you know, hope and uh, know that God can, mm-hmm. God can you know, do the impossible. But we also know that people, people's choices are involved. And sometimes people have hardened their hearts to such a degree or they've rejected the truth for so long. It's almost like they can get into a condition where their conscience has been seared. And Paul talks about that in Timothy, where, you know, a seared person has a seared conscience mm. or their heart has become so hardened. And so, yeah, it's, it's a challenging thing to navigate, but I think there, yeah, there's times where we have to take more of a harder stance maybe to protect God's people and to keep from further harm happening. Yeah. Like I have to be honest, this is like not very fun to talk about. Like, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm like, oh, this is like, doesn't, it's just not very hopeful, but what I'm thinking about is the sheep. Like yeah. what what you are speaking about is protecting the sheep. And so often the people in the pulpit are being protected or people in leadership are being protected. And can do, do you see that, that this is happening in leadership too? I mean, I think that's the part that where I'm, I'm why we need to speak out on this and why we can't yeah. ignore this. And we need to be paying attention to this because so many more people are being hurt and wounded because there's those in leadership that like, it's like they're pastor or they're in leadership because of the power, yeah. but they don't actually have the real fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, we've seen a lot just in the last decade of just pretty major exposures uh, of things that have happened where, um, you know, even like internationally known leaders, and things kind of come come to light that oh wait all these years there's been a pattern of like being a sexual predator for instance or um, you know all, and, and we can talk about all 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 kind of things that have come to light um, even just recently um, but I think yeah I think maybe we've been a little too naive in how we've handled those situations in the past and we kind of uh, there, there's a difference between a person that has a moral failure and a person that's been living in ongoing hypocrisy mm, that's and good. I, and I think because we haven't differentiated between those two, we put everything in the same category. And so we think, well, you know, everybody sins or everybody makes mistakes. And but but and so we just kind of lump it all in the same category. And I can think of multiple situations that I'm aware of where a, a ministry mm-hmm. leader, you know, they there was a they, they were sexually abusing somebody or preying on somebody. And then they went through a restoration process that was you know pretty quick. They get back in ministry and then they do the same and then the same thing happens, you know, over and over again because there there wasn't actual true repentance. And so, yeah, a moral failure. I mean, that's when a person they stumble into sin. They get caught in their trespasses. And that's Galatians 6, 1. And, you know, and, and you know, they have to go through repentance and restoration and see fruit Mm -hmm. and all that. Um, That's different than a person that's been living a lifestyle of ongoing deception, hypocrisy, double life. It's a two, two different categories. And so that's why I think it's important to have these conversations, even just to bring clarity to some of that, where yes, in, in some of these situations, it's not just a person stumbled. It's, you know, this was a lifestyle and a pattern for decades. So it's very different. Yeah, so that's really good. There, there's a difference between a moral failure and someone who's living in a hypocrisy. That's a good word. That's a really good word. What about somebody who is like, they finally realized, okay, this is my spouse. They're doing the research. They're getting all the data. They're starting to talk to some people. What I, I, this is what I see a lot is that they'll keep trying counseling and counseling doesn't work, or they're afraid to do counseling because 
the spouse that has nar- that is nar- narcissist or is in hypocrisy manipulates the counselor and can mm-hmm. just kind of take advantage of the whole situation. So they just kind of keep living in this hopeless place. Like, and then they're like, well, it's not biblical to get divorced. So then I just need to mm-hmm. stay in it. Like, could you give some advice to those people who are struggling in the, yeah. that situation? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah, that's a very challenging, difficult situation, painful situation for sure. And again, there's different factors that go into what's the, I can't tell people what decision to make, but I think what I would want to say to somebody in that situation is a, it's, it's not okay that you're being treated that way. Like that's, that's not okay. That is not God's heart for marriage. Mm-hmm. That is not God's design for marriage. Um, that doesn't mean marriage is always easy. Of course, there's going to be challenges and things to navigate, but it was never meant to be destructive. It was never meant to uh, destroy your personhood or destroy your voice. Like that's not God's heart for marriage. It's not God's design for marriage. It's not okay. Secondly, what I would want to say is um, there's other options besides stay, pray, and obey, or, you know, just, you know, just um, there's, there, there's other options. Like you can make more drastic changes. Like you can, you can set boundaries. Um, you can, you can separate, you can, you can make choices like that if you need to. And then even the whole you know question about divorce, um, you know, we, yeah, we know from the Bible, it's God's heart, God's, God's design for marriage. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's meant to be a man and a woman for, for a lifetime. That's, that's his, that's his ultimate design. Um, but we also live in a fallen world and I'm certainly not a proponent of just flippant divorce or just, you know, Hey, you know, well, we just, you know, we, you know, we don't like each other anymore and we're just going to, you know, that's, that's obviously not okay. Um, but I think in the church, there's been such an emphasis on, you know, divorce is bad. And we, we, we actually forget that the main problem here is not a divorce problem. It's, there's an abuse problem yeah. in the church. And so we're not talking about what's actually at, at the foundation of these marriage problems. What's at the foundation of, of, of this, you know, divorce uh, crisis. So, yeah, I mean, I think we talk about the divorce crisis, but not, not the abuse crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, you know, so we, we say God hates divorce, but God hates abuse. Yeah. God, God hates the way his yes. people are being treated. He hates, yeah. he hates that. Um, that's not okay. Yes. And in most situations of abuse, I believe there's going to be biblical grounds for divorce. I mean, there's different opinions on, you know, what, what, what is that? And um, mm-hmm. but even like the grounds of sexual immorality, um, it's almost certain that there is sexual sin involved in abusive relationships. And maybe that's addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's infidelity, adultery, um, yeah. but e- even taking that more seriously. I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes I think people get, you know, get a pass on pornography addiction because, well, it's not actually, I'm not actually doing something with a physical mm-hmm. person. Well, you know, I mean, according to Jesus, like that's actually equivalent to committing adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a violation of the marriage covenant. And, you know, if if a woman in that situation who is being abused over time chooses to divorce, she didn't break the marriage covenant. Mm -hmm. She didn't break the marriage covenant. The husband did over and over and over and over and over again. She just she just said, this is this has already been broken and I need to separate. You know, I need to get out from under this. So, um, again, I I am a huge proponent of marriage. Um, Yes. God, 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 God values marriage. Yep. And I'm not saying we, I'm not saying we should be flippant or just, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, I do think people need to know there are other op- like there are other options besides just, well, I just have to keep praying and submitting and just, you know, hoping that things change. If you've seen a pattern over time mm-hmm. consistently, 
of this, it's okay to to consider and, and, and to pray about other 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 possible options. And you know, each there, there, there's no easy option. You know, it's not going to be it's not going to be easy to to stay in that marriage. It's not going to be easy to to leave. It's not so. It's um, either one. I know either one is really really hard. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I see in the partner of someone who struggles with narcissism or even just a lot of the symptoms of it is that they like lose themselves and they just like, they're just hopeless. Like I am a puppet, you know, like I don't have my life and it's just not worth it to stay in that place of helplessness for somebody else's so that they can have their I don't, I don't know, you know, so they can mm-hmm. somehow stay functioning because then they're controlling someone. And um, so I, I just appreciate you bringing the awareness to this. Yeah. And then the, the last thing I wanted to just kind of check with you is I really don't like when people just throw the word narcissism around. Um, but I also really appreciate you bringing up, like, we can't ignore abuse. Like there's, there's too much of abuse happening and we're not paying attention to it. Do you see that word being thrown around a lot in the church? I mean, I'm just saying in the mental health word, I see it a lot. So <laughs> this is why I'm asking you, like, do you see it being thrown around in the church? Like, you know, I can't stand them or they're a jerk. So then they're a narcissist. Yeah. 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 I do think, yeah, I do. I, I do think there can be a caution in that because sometimes things can become a kind of almost a buzzword or a trend, you know, certain words you know, become a buzzword or it's kind of just becomes popular to say or trend. And so yeah, I think we should be careful not just to flippantly throw that word around and not not to misuse it from the stance of just because maybe you know you had a bad interaction with a person or maybe they rubbed you the wrong way or you know they had a bad like yeah um yeah I would I, I would say that there's there's that can happen where things just get kind of thrown around all the time and then well it's just well I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that person off or da, da, da. um and obviously yes healthy boundaries absolutely is is key but yeah, being careful not not to just overuse it and then it just loses its meaning. So I feel that it takes away from those who actually are struggling with it. Yeah. So that yeah. that's what I, you know, what I worry about. So this has been really, really, really helpful. <laughs> Thank you so much for shedding light to a really hard topic and just a really yeah. and even just a, a sensitive topic. Cause I think, I mean, it just ruins people's lives. Like this is this ruins churches. Like this is really mm-hmm. taking down a lot of what God doesn't desire. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you feel like it's on your heart? Yeah, I guess I would just encourage, you know, if, if, if you're a person that maybe has been affected negatively by hypocrisy, you know, whether that's in a church context, um, spiritual abuse, whether that's in a marriage context or otherwise, I would just, you know, just really want to just minister to your heart and encourage you to just that, yeah, the Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. And Jesus came to set the captives free, heal the broken heart. So I just want to encourage those that have been negatively affected. Like there's healing uh, for you. There's restoration. And, you know, some of you are kind of like that person in the story um, of the Good Samaritan, where it's like you're kind of on the side of the road. You know, you've been robbed and you're just kind of, you know, you're kind of laying there half naked, bleeding, you know. Um, but there's healing, just like in that story. Like God will use other people. God will use situations, whether that's counselors whether that's pastors, whether that's prayer ministry, whether that's just you and God's relationship, all, all of it, God will use things to bring healing. And just, yeah, I just want you to know that there, yeah, there's healing, there's freedom um, for your life and that, that God will help put those pieces back together. So there is hope. Yes. And you have seen it. You've seen people yes. 
get healed and and restored and you don't just stay stuck in it. I would love it if you could pray for us, pray for the listeners in whatever way you feel God leading and and then I'll have you share how people can get a hold of you. Sounds great. Yep. Yeah. Father God, I thank you so much for this time, this conversation. And God, even as we talk about things that aren't always fun to talk about, I ask for you to breathe upon this and Lord, let your spirit guide us into all truth and continue to open up our hearts, our eyes to, to the, these realities. God, I ask you to make us wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, and that we would walk in your spirit, God, walk in your truth, walk in your word. And God, I do pray right now for anyone that has been hurt, wounded, abused uh, by the effects of hypocrisy or narcissism or other areas like that. God, I ask you to release your healing balm of the power of the Holy Spirit, God, into their hearts. God, I just pray a release from captivity of any heart, Lord, that's been broken. God, would you just bring wholeness and freedom? I break the power of any demonic oppression. I command it to lift off in Jesus' name. And I just, Lord, just declare your peace. Even clarity over people's minds where there's been confusion because of the manipulation, because of the control. I just break the power of that spirit of confusion. I command it to go in Jesus' name. God, I ask for healing. Uh, just insight and direction for their lives. God, I speak your blessing over them. And I thank you for what you're doing, Father, even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Jake. So how can people get a hold of you and get your book? Yeah, so I mean, the main uh, way, the easiest way is my website, which is just my name. So it's jakekale.com, spelled K-A-I-L. Um, yeah, so jakekale.com is kind of a central hub for all of my ministry stuff. It's got all my books on there. I've got a lot of podcast episodes and articles and lots of stuff on there. So that's, that's, yeah, it's the best way to get in touch is through the website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Yep. Thanks, Heidi. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensenLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.